only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit Recorded live. And this is episode 214 on TalkShoe, the Michigan Sports Truth Postgame Edition. I'm Taylor Phillips flying solo tonight, late tonight, after stopping by for dinner in Mount Pleasant at B-Dubs, watching the Spartans fall by two, but I'm going to get to that later. Lots to get to late tonight here. Pistons, Wolverines, Spartans, and Tigers. First, I'm going to get to the Red Wings ending their so-called trade block. They give away Thomas Vanek to the Florida Panthers for another 2017 third-round draft pick. And a defenseman named Dylan McGrath. Ken Holland was just selling like crazy, I guess. Uh, maybe not crazy, but uh, he sold two good players in Brendan Smith and Thomas Vanek. For a 2017 third-round draft pick. The first trade they made was um, trading Tomas Yurko to the Chicago Blackhawks for a 2017 third-round third draft pick. That's 2017 third-round draft pick number one. Number two, they trade defenseman Brendan Smith to the New York Rangers for a second 2017 third for a second 2017 third rounder, third round draft pick. And a 2000, 2018 second round draft pick. That was yes, that was uh, two afternoons ago. Two early afternoons ago. And then late last night, while overtime women went underway between the Red Wings and Canucks in Vancouver, the Wings trade washed up veteran forward Steve Ott to the Montreal Canadiens for a 2018 six-round draft pick. And now, yesterday afternoon, 
on a Wednesday afternoon. They make one final trade, sending Thomas Vanek to the Florida Panthers for 2017 third-round draft pick number three and defenseman Dylan McElrath. That that source came from TSN in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. So in totality, what Ken Holland is trying to do is making an example of making a, making examples of separating the young draft picks. from his primary long-term poison pill contract players like Justin Applicator, Jonathan Erickson, Darren Helm, Danny DeKaiser, and Henrik Zetterberg, and Nicholas Cronwall. They're all, they're all poison pill long-term contracts. And all of them are fucking expensive. And and here's some good news and some bad news about it. The good news is, first, Ken Holland was selling. The bad news is, Ken Holland wasn't selling right. Ken Holland's really doing it this time. Meaning he's um, making this Red Wings youth system even worse. He's got he's got a total of five draft picks, three of them third rounders, one of them a second rounder, and. The last one and the other one being left out, a six-round draft pick for next year. Second rounder and the sixth rounder are for next year in 2018 in the summer. All three third-round picks are for this summer in 2017. So, technically, at least four out of those five draft picks, to say the least, may not be that good. The second-round draft pick for next year may be okay, I guess. Not great. Now, we may say that Ken Holland might have done much better still, but I guess speaking sarcastically, that's all Ken Holland could do. Cause, but, I, but to say that is for a reason why. It's because 
Ken Holland is still the worst GM in the NHL in today's world. That's a fact, Jack. Sorry, Red Wing fans who still believe in Ken Holland after all those years. The Red Wings are not making the playoffs, period. And everybody should know this better than me, better than the realists. That's one of my That's one of my newest catchphrases, by the way. You should know it better than I do. Most people most of the slaps should know better than, than us realists can. So that's all the Red Wings have done by the trade trade deadline yesterday at three PM Eastern time. This is this is indeed and yes this is indeed recording live and when it's finished it's archived on Talk Show episode two fourteen of the Michigan Sports Truth Post Game Edition. So to sum it all up, Ken Hahn was selling, but wasn't even doing his best to do so. Not even nearly. I thought Ken Hahn would finally push the right buttons. He almost sort of did, I guess, but then again... He did a pretty bad job while trading two good players away, one washed-up veteran away, and another player away that actually hasn't gotten much ice time and wasn't happy with Ken Holland, understandably. Brendan Smith, one of those two, young, one of those two great players, good players rather. Smith's not actually that great, but he's still good. He was their best defenseman. Even though he wasn't great at all. Brendan Smith didn't want to be here anymore. Ken Holland wanted to re-sign him, but Smith said no. He must have. And I understand trading Thomas Vanek away, too, because Thomas Vanek not only wants to play great, but wants to play great on a winning team like the Florida Panthers. But uh, for the Red Wings to keep 
for the Red Wings to keep getting mostly third round draft picks for this year just make us just makes us seasick that it's boring the hell out of us and it's making them think he looks really stupid while trying to sell. That's just the way it was by that trade deadline. So the Red Wings did some work on on their sell train, but just not the right way. Not quite the right way, to say the least. Now that's enough hockey trade deadline talk. Now we shift to pro basketball. The Detroit Pistons, they get absolutely shellacked. 109-86 in New Orleans to the Pelicans at Smoothie King Center. Smoothie King Center in front of 14,406 spectators on hand. The Pistons get, out, get barely out-rebounded 53-50. to 50. They shoot just 13.0 from three-point range. while New Orleans shoots 36% from three. The Pelicans outshoot the Pistons 50% to 38.8 from the floor. And... To highlight that, Andre Drummond gets ejected for swatting the back of the head of Tim Frazier, the Pelican point guard. And that's just typical Andre Drummond, that mental crybaby that mental crybaby midget. Andre Drummond was doing a hell of a job rebounding the basketball. He came up with 17 rebounds before he got in trouble with Tim Frazier and got ejected. Of course, the Pistons got outscored 31-18 in the first quarter and 25-20 in the third quarter, but they still outscored New Orleans 32-22 in the second quarter. And it was 50-43 Pelican, 50-43 Pistons at halftime. And then it was 70 68 Pistons at the end of the third quarter. 
before Andre Drummond got ejected, he still also struggled from the free throw line, was awful from the free throw line, in fact. He hit only one of ten free throws, made only one of ten free throws, So number one, he can't let his anger get in, get get the best of him anymore. It's time to it's time for him to put up or shut up. And number two, he's got to start practicing free throws again. I don't care if it's regular routine, the regular routine way or underhand is like you know who from back in time. I, what I meant by that is I can't exactly say who from what year. I, I can't remember. That was, a, that was like a few, that was like a year ago. And Andre Drummond, Andre Drummond was was a 2012 ninth overall draft pick, first round from UConn. Drummond, by the way, finished with 13 points and 17 rebounds. That's another double-double for him before he got ejected. He got ejected, and he missed nine free throws out of ten opportunities. This is all typical Drummond. Another double-double, another ejection, and and another very poor performance at the charity stripe. Making a seasick, Andre Drummond should have been traded. General Manager Jeff now, General Manager Jeff Bauer, and not only the head coach but the president, but also the president of basketball operations, Stan Van Gundy. They both should have known better about this. Aaron Baines, uh, the backup center, went back to his own typical self. Two fucking points, six rebounds, 13 minutes, one of three shooting, one block, only one personal foul, but a minus one. John Willer led with 22 points and seven rebounds. Tobias Harris off the bench, 15 points, but a minus 15. Because the Pistons, just an example of why the Pistons don't play defense. Drummond, ten of Drummond's, uh, ten of 
10 of Andre Drummond's rebounds, by the way, have come from the offensive glass. Isn't that surprising? That's the tip of the that's the tip of the iceberg right there. And yet at and out of all this, Stan Van Gundy still doesn't play Boban Marjanovic at all. Again. Van Gundy is a Drummond Baines buffoon. And he and he doesn't think Boban Marjanovic is ready for the big spotlight. That's just like Ken Holland not being used to not give Andreas Athanasiu or Anthony Mantha the spotlight, or Jeff Blaschel, the head coach of the Red Wings, who are coming off a 3-2 overtime victory over the Vancouver Canucks. ACP, five points, minus 17. 33 minutes, two of 11 from the floor, one of six from three. Marcus Morris, 11 points, minus 21. John Willard, minus 16. Drummond, minus 12. Reggie Jackson, eight points, minus 15. Four of 16 shooting in 29 minutes. Just two rebounds, four assists. The entire team, mostly because of Andre Drummond's really pathetic free throw shooting, three of 17 from the free throw line. Tobias Harris, two for five from the line. Marcus Morris, 0 for two from the free throw line. So not only was Drummond shitty from the free throw line, every Piston player that stepped to the strike tonight, only three players though, but, but every single Piston was atrocious from the free throw line. It's not just, it's mostly Drummond, but not just him. Take a look at the entire box score. I'm, ta- I'm talking to every single one of you listeners out, out there. Online. NBA.com has it. ESPN.com has it. Even the mobile, even the mobile apps. And, of course, the Pistons weren't covering Anthony Davis, who had enough, had a double-double of his own 33 points, 14 rebounds, and a plus 20, 11 of 17 shooting. That's pretty damn hot, 36 minutes. Drew Holiday, 22 points, plus 25, 10 of 18 from the floor, 2 of 5 from 3. Dante Cunningham, 16 points, 5 rebounds, 5 of 8 from the floor, 4 for 7 from 3, actually. Why weren't they covering him? Of course, the Pelicans are struggling this year, but they have a powerful offense in Dante Cunningham, Anthony Davis, and Drew Holiday. Those are the top three key players to watch for New Orleans. And I'm not just talking to the Detroit Pistons, but I'm talking to every single other player. Every 
every single remaining player in the every single remaining team in the National Basketball Association. Alexis Ajinka, Ajinka with ten points in nineteen minutes, four of seven. Not covering him. And he's and he's a bench player tonight too. Each one more. Oh, Ajinka with a plus nine too. Each one more, eleven points and a plus fifteen. Four of ten. 26 minutes. Ajinka was playing 19 minutes. So that's it. This one's fall to 29 and 32. They're still in eighth place in that Eastern Conference. One game ahead of the Miami Heat, a game and a half behind the Chicago Bulls, or 30 and 30. The Heat are 26 and 33. And two back of the sixth place Indiana Pacers at 31 and 30. Pistons don't play until Saturday at 6 p.m. in Philadelphia against the 76ers at Wachovia. Wachovia Center. That's televised on Fox Sports Detroit. The Pistons had better beat this, better squash the 76ers. They better come out with a much better performance. And there better not be another Andre Drummond ejection. And Andre Drummond. Sure as hell, I better practice more free throw shooting, for Christ's sake. Now for the Michigan Wolverines losing to the Northwestern Wildcats 67-65 on Derek Pardon's game-winning layup. They had 1.7 on the clock, a Hail Mary pass in traffic. Michigan could have picked the ball off. But Northwestern with a hell of a play, a Hail Mary play for the game winner at the buzzer. And the Wildcats the Wildcats clinch an NCAA tournament berth.
I was going to look that up. Yeah, trying to look that up real quick. Um, They clinch an NCAA tournament berth for the first time since 1993. They improved to 21 and 9 overall and 10 and 7 in the Big Ten. The Wolverines dropped to 19 and 11 and 9 and 8 in the Big Ten. Wildcats outshoot the Wolverines 52.9% to 45.1% from the floor and 38.5% to 36.4% from three. Michigan, by turning the ball over only nine times, don't get it done. 29 rebounds apiece, 12 turnovers committed by the Wildcats. Top three scores for Michigan, Derek Walton Jr., 15 points, 5 of 13 in 37 minutes, 4 for 8 from 3. Mamad Ali Abdur-Rahman, 13 points, 4 of 9, and 2 for 4 from 3 in 32 minutes. And Zach Irvin, of all people, 12 points, not terrible, 6 of 10 shooting, 0 for 2 from 3, 36 minutes. Also, Mo Wagner with just 8 points. Who was seven in 30 minutes, and Duncan Robinson with eight points, three of four in 24, two of three from three. Mo Wagner with 10 rebounds, by the way. Derek Parton with his game winning layup at the buzzer finishes with nine points, and so does Scotty Lindsay. Vic Law leading with 18 for the purple and silver, the purple, black, and silver. Also, Bryant McIntosh with 13. Michigan was uh, very close to clinching an NCAA tournament berth, but they'll have to get it done at Nebraska Sunday night at 8 p.m. on BTN. Nebraska is 12 and 16 and 6 and 10 in the Big Ten. Michigan should be able to beat them, at least by a close game. Remember when they beat Rutgers by a close game? after letting them in the game on the road, yeah, this might, the same thing might happen at Pinnacle Bank Arena in Lincoln, Nebraska on March 5th, 2017 at 8 p.m. Eastern Time on BTN. Ty Webster, yeah, he's the player to watch. 17.8 points per game, 4.1 assists per game. Ed Morrow with 7.6 rebounds per game. Michigan State Spartans fall by three, 73 to 70 at Illinois to the Fighting Illini. 15 turnovers for Michigan State. 
despite out-rebounding the Illini 33-25. Illinois, just seven turnovers committed. MSU outshoots Illinois 48.1 to 45%, but Illinois outshoots Michigan State 42.3% to 38.1% from three-point range. Miles Bridges with 21 points. And 10 rebounds. Michigan State shooting 12 of 15 from the free throw line, 80%. Illinois, 8 of 13, 61.5%. LaRolle's Tum Tum Nairn Jr. Was, was, was past the ball, and, he, and they gave the ball to him to try to tie it with a three-point shot at the buzzer. And he missed poorly. And to top the cherry on the Sunday, he'd score only two gosh darn points. He's one for four from from the floor. 0 for 1 from 3. That was the buzzer beating awful miss. It didn't even hit the rim. Nair Jr. played 20 minutes. Laurel's Tum Tum Nair Jr. That guy should be cut. How, how the fuck could Tom Izzo call that type of play to get the ball to Laurel's Tum Tum Nair Jr.? He used the wrong player in a fine play call. He used the wrong player to shoot the three. Tom Ezzo has, has so much faith in Tom Tom Nairn Jr. when Tom Tom Nairn Jr. is by far the worst player on MSU's roster. And he's in the starting fucking lineup. For Christ's sake. If you can't cut him, bench him. That is outrageous. Alan Ellis, the third with 15 points. Nick Ward with 11. Josh Langford with with seven. Kyle Ahrens with four, Matt McQuaid with six, Kenny Goins and Cassius Winston with just two points. Call somebody up from the promote somebody from the bench and just to replace Tom Tom Nairn Jr. I don't care. It could be anybody. It could be Matt McQuaid. I don't care. I don't I never want Tom Tom Nairn in the starting lineup again. He should be, in fact, he should be cut. At least in my opinion. But, but actually, in fact, he should be, he definitely should be cut. He should get a sorry-ass cut. Tom Tom Nairn Jr. is beyond awful. That's making me sick. Malcolm Hill with 22 points, 
for Illinois. Leron Black. Leron Black with 15. Maverick Morgan with 14. That's it for Illinois. Michigan State falls to 18 and 12 overall and 10 and 7 in the Big Ten. Illinois improves to 18 and 12 and 8 and 9 at home on, on senior night in the Big Ten. Spartans had their short two-game winning streak snapped at Illinois. Last game of the season, Saturday afternoon at 2 p.m. on BTN at the Maryland Terrapins. Can't count count out those Terrapins at all. They're another good team that the Spartans have to play to wrap up the regular season. I'm not sorry to say this, but the Spartans should cut Tumtum there, Jr. This is outrageous. So, there, so there's your college basketball recap. We've already recapped the Red Wings' trades. We've, we've recapped the Pistons getting dumped on with, Duke, with Pelican Douche in New Orleans. In the Wolver, we recapped the Wolverines and Spartans falling, both falling by two on the road when they shouldn't have. And now we're going to just going to recap the Tigers split squad action in grapefruit, uh, grapefruit League action in the spring training exhibition season. Tigers first split squad at Florida Auto Exchange Stadium on Wednesday beat the Toronto Blue Jays by hanging on for a 5-4 win. Michael Fulmer it's just two scoreless innings, gives up just three hits. The defending 2016 American League Rookie of the Year Award winner. He allowed a, a leadoff walk, a leadoff double to Kevin Pilar, but San Jose Batista and Justin Smoke to end the threat. And then in the next inning, he forced Ryan 
Goins to ground into a 4-6-3 double play. James McCann hit a two-run double scoring Stephen Moya and Dixon Machado to give the Tigers a 2-0 lead in the second inning. James, James McCann, understandably, has been on fire this spring. And today is now my sister's birthday, by the way. Tigers, the other Tigers split squad we'll get to soon, but uh, checking the center field position, Jacoby Jones went one for three in the Blue Jays game with a run scored, just a man left on base. Alex Presley went 0 for one. He's batting 500. Jacoby Jones batting 444. Now for the uh, 9-1 to loss for the other split squad to the Washington Nationals. Mike Calfrey Well, first off, Jason Beck is still getting his hopes on Mike, hopes up on Michael Pelfrey. On Mike Pelfrey, by by positively labeling him a sinker ball pitcher, no matter what, quote unquote, no matter what happens the rest of his career, let alone the spring training, that won't change. Actually, that's not positive the way I read this next paragraph. What the Tigers are asking him to do this spring, however, is mix it up, adding fastballs and cutters to a sinker-splitter attack. The results of those pitches in his start Wednesday against the Nationals depend on the vantage point in a 9-1 loss to to the Nats. Mike Pelfrey... Through 51 pitches, 20, only 26 of them strikes in an inning and two-thirds, two walks, five other full counts, and two bases-loaded full count situations in as many innings. Mike Pelfrey said, quote, I wanted to work on my cutter, which I worked on this offseason, and throw more four-seamers, and in 50 pitches or whatever, I threw maybe 25 of them, strikes, and maybe two strikes out of all of them. Terrible. It makes for a pretty long couple innings. Oh, okay, so that's that. two of them, two strikes out of all of them. Uh, yeah, that, that's saying something there. Then he continues on, I thought the cutters were fairly good, but I don't think I ever established established it as a strike. I think most of them started as a strike and went off. But since I didn't establish it as a strike, I don't think they ever offered it. I don't think they ever offered at it. 
unquote. Brand, manager Brian Osmus was there in D.C. trying to focus on Mike Palfrey's performance. He said, quote, the action on the pitches was good. It's just the location wasn't there. That's unquote. That's all Brian Osmus said. Brian Osmus blaming that on bad luck. When he should, we should. When he should already have known by now that Mike Pelfrey is a terrible pitcher. And according to Statcast, 82% of Pelfrey's pitches last year were accounted for, at nearly 82%, by sinkers and splitters. And Osmus continued on about them and said, quote, he's still going to use his two-seam and his split. We feel like adding to his arsenal will make him more effective, especially against left-handed hitters. They won't be that effective, Brad, unquote. Newsflash, Brad Osmus, you idiot. No matter how you, No matter how you mix up those other pitches, they still won't be that good. They'll still be bad, if not terrible. It's about pitch control, pitch command. Of course that game was not televised. For goodness sake. Pelfrey, in totality, gave up two earned runs on four hits and two walks in an inning and two-thirds. His ERA is now 736. He retired the first two batters in both innings, including two outs in his first three pitches. Giving up an infield single, a five-pitch walk, and a hit-by-pitch to load the bases before Matt Stoll drew a walk against Pelfrey to walk in, to force a run in at an RBI. But Pelfrey ended the first inning with a pop-out to second base. And then Pelfrey gave up back-to-back singles and a five-pitch walk to load the bases again in the second inning with two outs for Michael Taylor. Who worked the count full. Pelfrey tried to get his Pelfrey tried to get one inside of the uh just a little wide on the inside corner of the plate. But he but he threw it right down the middle and Michael Taylor blocked it up the middle for a two run single.
and Pelfrey paid the price. Matt Stoll actually didn't walk it, didn't draw a base, did not draw a bases on the walk. He popped out in that first inning. But Mike Pelfrey gave up two runs and gave up just the two runs in the second inning, in the inning and two thirds before Brad Osmus gave him the hook. Pelfrey was kicking himself, and he should be. Brad Osmus was uh, coddling Mike Pelfrey and blaming his performance on bad luck when Mike Pelfrey's command wasn't there. See, when the location is not there, so is the command's not there either. And Brian Osmus should know this better than anybody. Maybe maybe not only does Brian Osmus know too much about advanced saber metrics, advanced metrics, he doesn't even know he doesn't know much he doesn't know too many aspects of the game of baseball. Either that, or he just thinks Mike Pelfrey is better than what he was. Somehow. That day, somehow. <sighs> Brad Osmus is still trying to get his hopes up on Mike Pelfrey, trying to work, trying to keep working on him. He'll never give up on Brian Osmus will never give up on Mike Pelfrey. Can't stand those two. I like Osmus fired, and I want Mike Pelfrey off his team. This is Pelfrey's last year of his contract. After that, he's got to go, period. Pelfrey should not be a starting pitcher. Brad Osmus wants Pelfrey to be anyway. It's a battle between Mike Pelfrey and Anibal Sanchez for that, for that number five starting pitching rotation spot. And neither of them... And neither Sanchez or Pelfrey should be. Period. Now checking out now digressing from Pelfrey, the center field position, as far as that's concerned, Anthony Ghost went one for went one for two and left a man on base. And finally, Juan Perez. Over one, a strikeout, two men left on base. Ghost hitting 222, Perez 200. He played left field and then center field. Mikey Matuck went over two. 
still batting triple zeros. He's even worse than Anthony Ghost, no offense. For the Tigers, later today on March 2nd, on a Thursday, this Thursday, we'll send Justin Verlander back to the hill. And the Tigers host the Pittsburgh Pirates at Joker Martin Stadium in Lakeland, Florida at 105. That, that can be heard on game day audio with Dan Dickerson and Jim Price. To the two shell announcers on the radio for the, for the Tigers approved by Major League Baseball. So that's the tie that's all Tigers recap and that's gonna wrap it up for episode two fourteen of the Michigan Sports Truth post game edition on Talk Show. I'm going to be covering just the Tigers later tonight. I'll just recap the Pittsburgh Pirates game. See what else is going on today. Episode 215, probably tonight at 10 p.m. I'll still cover the center field positions. Upcoming today, Pittsburgh at 105, that's it. Then tomorrow, Tigers are at the Rays at at Tropicana Field in St. Petersburg at 105. Eastern Michigan, home against Toledo at 7, Friday night. Detroit Mercy, home against Milwaukee at 530. I'll just mention the final score on that one. If uh, Toledo versus Eastern Michigan is televised on ESPN 3, maybe an alternative channel or something. So, with all that being said, that's that's tonight's episode here. Episode 214 of the Michigan Sports Truth Post Game Edition. Till then, till episode 215 later tonight at 10, this is Taylor Phillips signing off. GTFN, Tata for now, Bon Appetit. Follow me on Twitter on DT at DT2Phillips. Like the show's Facebook page, The Michigan Sports Truth, and follow the podcast. Uh, join the join the podcast Facebook group, The Michigan Sports Truth. 
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.